Hello, this is Carolina Brooks, and today we'll be mapping co-infections on the 15-minute matrix. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. This is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons on the clinical relevance of the functional nutrition matrix, the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition. The matrix is so important not only because it invites us to stop and assess, but also because it reminds us of three very important factors in our care, our recommendations, and our outcomes. Everything is connected, we are all unique, and all things matter. Be sure to head over to this episode's show notes at 15minutematrix.com if you'd like to see today's topic mapped on a downloadable matrix to remind you of these critical aspects of care. Today on the 15-Minute Matrix, I'll be speaking with Carolina Brooks. Carolina Brooks is a certified functional medicine practitioner who uses a systems biology and science-based approach to healthcare involving nutrition, genetics, herbal medicine, endobiogeny, and orthomolecular medicine. She has also trained in Ayurveda and Chinese medicine, ear acupuncture, and nutritional psychiatry. She started her career in investment banking, so she has had firsthand experience working in a very high-pressure environment. She runs her own clinic, Anthrobotanica, which focuses on supporting those with complex chronic diseases and committed wellness seekers, and her consultancy business formulates products for wellness startups, clinics, and hospitality sectors. Carolina, welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. Hi, Andrea. Thank you so much for having me. We are talking today about co-infections, and it's a topic that there's a lot of interest in these days, but there's a lot of confusion about it as well. Can you just start us off by talking about what a co-infection actually is? Yeah. So a co-infection is effectively a simultaneous infection of a host by multiple pathogen species. It might be a virus, it might be parasites, bacteria. So some examples would be HIV, which is commonly associated with hepatitis B or C. Um, Streptococcus can be a co-infection at the moment, particularly in COVID-19. Streptococcus also modulates like influenza virus B-cell response. So that's another example. But the one I probably work with most in my clinic would be, you know, Lyme and the co-infections, mold, Epstein-Barr, Candida. So basically Lyme with everything or the co-infections without necessarily having Lyme. Got it. So when we think about co-infections, is there literally a simultaneous infection at a cellular level? Yeah, so effectively you can have a co-infection, but it might not necessarily be expressing. So you could have a co-infection which is effectively modulating the immune response of the host, or it might make the infection, the preliminary infection worse, you know, or it might improve the outcome, but I don't really often see that in clinic. And are there certain people, whether it's genetics or where they live or their immune function, that are more susceptible to basically the insult of a co-infection? Yeah, so thinking about genetics, one of the 
primary things I see is poor detox. So SNPs in cytochrome enzymes or glutathione deletion, methylation pathways. And I don't know if you're familiar with the RCCX theory. It's quite an interesting theory which looks at a cluster of genes on chromosome 6. This is a theory, but like the patients typically present with EDS or different psychiatric symptoms. But the thing I see the most in clinic would be that these patients are much more susceptible to chronic viral issues, chronic infections, struggling to clear these infections, um, being much more susceptible to environmental toxins and pesticides, and being very, very, very sensitive to stresses, so emotional stresses, struggling as well with mold issues in the home. But yeah, that's like the main kind of interesting cluster. And then I don't know if you're familiar with Bob Miller's work, but he also looks at genes that make people more susceptible to kind of resistant infections as the genes which increase oxidative stress, increase peroxynitrite formation and increase iron um, oxidation. So those genes are more associated with mitochondrial function, methylation, neurotransmitter production and breakdown and antioxidants. So yeah, I would say that there's definitely some antecedents which present in terms of genetics. If we think about the kind of epigenetics and the terrain, given those genetic factors or not, are there specific triggers that we should be thinking about? I mean, certainly with Lyme, we're thinking about a tick bite, but anything else that would be a trigger? You kind of mentioned a lot already, like mold and chronic exposures and not being able to clear. Are we missing anything in the trigger arena? I mean, terrain is key for everything, right? So right. I think what you always talk about in your podcast about inflammation, digestion, genes. Yes. So looking at terrain, I mean, where we live, absolutely. I mean, thinking more specifically about Lyme, being in a Lyme endemic area, that's actually going to increase your risk. But toxins in your environment, the food that you're eating, what medications you're on. And I think one thing that I really get frustrated by in our primary care medical practice in the UK, doctors here don't really look at nutrient depletions that might be caused by medications and how to correct those. Right. And that has you know, massive downstream consequences on microbiome health, detox pathways, neurotransmitter function. So really those things can have a huge impact on the epigenetic expression for sure. Yeah. We think of this as like tier two, deficiency to sufficiency. The other side is toxicity. How are we always looking through that sufficiency lens and not going on either side of that in the continuum? There sounds to me like there's kind of a barrier issue at the cellular level. How are these infections at that deep level? How are they? I guess it's the terrain is just there's a milieu where there's so much to fight that it's almost like there's an immune distraction, if I'm to simplify it, that then allows for this onslaught to occur. Yes. So I think thinking more specifically about you know, Lyme as an example and the co-infections, um, because a lot of these bacteria and parasites will actually cause immunosuppression. Plus, you've got that in combination with like chronic secretory IgA dysfunction and like a lowered mucosal immune function. And then you've got Lyme, which is like the ultimate shapeshifter because it can change form, which makes it really hard to detect, it can convert from the L form, you know, which is the phase with no cell wall. So it can burrow into tissues and it can then become 
undetectable effectively by the immune system. So this is why, for example, if you test on someone, you might not necessarily test seropositively because you may not be picking up spirochetes in the test on the day. So thinking about like immune evasion as well as a heightened immune response and a dysregulated immune response. So you might see both sides. Right, right, right. I guess that's kind of where I was thinking really simply from like a barrier issue, like the barriers of our immune system aren't properly functional. Like there's a lot of dysfunction there. If we head over to the center part of the matrix, what kind of symptoms are you seeing with these co-infections that are related to Lyme? Okay, so thinking about things like structural integrity, that's going to present with like quite a lot of gut tissues, permeability, a poor mucosal immune function as a result of structural integrity. And of course, a lot of these infections will have a, a big impact on connective tissue. You know, the big thing is, is that none of these infections tend to present the same way in everyone. And the other problem is, is that a lot of the symptoms overlap. So it's really, really hard to pick up a positive result in someone if they're, for example, not even producing immunoglobulin properly. Good point. So, you know, thinking about assimilation issues, you know, if someone isn't able to absorb their food properly and utilize their nutrients, they're not going to produce the proteins they need to support immune function. Right. So, you know, from a very basic foundational level, and I talk about this a lot with everyone, (laughs) nutrition assimilation, like digestion is absolutely key to everything. So much as I'm not a fan of like, oh, everything starts in the gut. I do think if we don't have the raw materials we need for our physiological processes, then nothing's going to run properly. Agreed. Um, You know, if we think about transport issues in any like chronic illness, you've got an upregulation of coagulation as your body's immune response to trying to halt something. The same thing happens with cancer that has a massive impact and can cause quite a lot of issues. So vasculitis and lymph congestion are big issues that I see. And obviously, we've already mentioned the impact on detox and oxidative stress. Yes. And then, of course, you know, when detox is impaired and you're not assimilating nutrients, then that will lead to mitochondrial dysfunction. And when we are working with people who are experiencing co-infections, I imagine they've been in a state of struggle health-wise for a long time. And that really impacts their trust in the medical system and in who's going to help them, how they're going to be helped. What's the state of the people that you're seeing by the time they find you? The emotional state. Because we have a free primary healthcare service in the UK, people have to be quite sick, I think, to seek out natural medicine or integrative medicine, unless it's something that they've kind of culturally been exposed to or are kind of interested in on a personal level. And our system doesn't really recognize Lyme. I mean, there's groups dedicated to this. You know, now people are recognizing long COVID as a thing, which I'm seeing as reactivated infections, Epstein-Barr and Lyme. You know, a lot of them don't trust. They've been through the mill. They're exhausted. They're trying to like put things together themselves. They're very confused by all the information they're reading online. They just need someone to spell it out for them in a way that makes sense. But then on the flip side, a lot of people will try and do it themselves. And there's lots of communities. But at the same time, I really think that defining yourself by an illness really kind of promotes a very negative outlook. And that's is one of the big frustrations I have is that people then define themselves, you know, collectively referring to themselves on forums as we. And I think that's a real challenge and it's a real obstacle in recovery. 
Yeah, such a really potent point, Carolina, to articulate there that this is an N of one and our work is to dive in and see where we untangle the mess and that's going to be different for everyone. So where do we start? What are the key mediators that you found to support those that are coming to see you in this state of distress? Well, I, I don't ever start by killing things. And I, I, I like the, the last thing I do, I really, I, I always have to stress, like, stop taking the herbs, yes. stop self-herbing. Yes. Um, it's not about just going in and, and people are like, I just need to get rid of the infection. Like, no, 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 no. If you try and kill things and your detox pathways are not working and your immune system's all over the place, it's not going to work. Correct. So, you know, in the first instance, we look at like the modifiable lifestyle factors, you know, let's think about introducing some stress management. Let's think about optimizing sleep. And, you know, I'll use herbs to get people sleeping if they're not sleeping. You know, I don't like using things as a Band-Aid, but the way I see it, herbs also, you know. Support. Exactly. So lots of adaptogens that they can absorb, teas, anything. So working on stress, looking at kind of toxic factors in their life, whether it be relationships, having conversations with people who are saying things like, my husband won't help me move out of our moldy home. It's so upsetting to hear that they're not being supported at home. And it's really hard to have that conversation with people about, you know, what you need to do about that. Making sure that people have community, because really, like people that get better and see a really good trajectory have really good support networks. They communicate with their friends. They communicate with their family. And I think that really helps gentle movement. It doesn't have to be like go straight into a hit class, even if it's like five minutes of breathing and yoga and stretches, that's sometimes enough to just make a start. And then of course, like the most important thing is what you're putting in your mouth. Yes. <laughs> and so, you know, by the time people come to me and most of them aren't eating like a, a standard American or British diet, they're trying to increase phytonutrients. They're kind of working on that. They've introduce celery juice or whatever so I'm really focused on diversity in the diet because like you I don't really agree with restrictive diets like long term I think that's probably the worst thing you can do for your immune system for your mental health so I really don't like to exclude lots of foods if I need to put someone on a low oxalate diet I try not to do the whole low oxalate I'll just say okay let's start by just switching out cooking methods like boil rather than steam let's just try little things like that histamine is a massive issue for most people who are in this kind of cell danger response type state so looking at how to reduce histamine without completely cutting out all the foods that they enjoy right which brings us back to helping supporting the gut so i love how you're talking about this we kind of have to do the back it up work before we can even get ready to like you said kill things in the body when the body can't get rid of what we're killing we're just creating more toxicity within and that's the other thing i know a lot of people will be like okay this herb works for this that's not how a herbalist works right um, a herbalist doesn't say okay i'm going to give you this herb for this and then we're going to rotate it with that um so you know you look at the person you look at the whole picture you look at you know what's going on with their adrenals whether their detox pathways need a bit of support maybe you need to use some digestive herbs as well um so when people are like why have you given me gentian and i'm like because we need to support the bitters, you know, you support bile flow. And I don't want to give you another pill. <laughs> so, you know, looking at like adaptogens, herbs that will help to downregulate the histamine response, herbs that will help to kind of support the kind of blood integrity, uh, lymph flow, herbs to kind of 
support gut health without necessarily going straight into aggressive antimicrobials. Herbs to regulate that immune response, so things like turmeric, resveratrol, but also it's worth noting that there's certain herbs which aren't very bioavailable in their kind of powder forms. So, you know, you don't absorb a lot from turmeric or Japanese knotweed if you just take them as powders. So liposomal delivery, so thinking about whether herbs should be given in culinary form polyphenol herbs, things that you can add to smoothies to kind of increase the phytonutrient content and the kind of maximize nutrition. So there's loads of stuff that you can do without it necessarily being protocol that's just basically I'm giving you all of this stuff and then we're gonna and then we're gonna go into the killing phase. But you know, sometimes it takes a year to get someone to that point where we can start. And I think, you know, that's a big thing that I have to communicate to patients. They're like, why haven't you addressed this yet? I'm like, because you're still reacting to foods you know you're still reacting to perfume if you walk past the counter at the airport so we need to get you immune stable like much more immune stable so let's focus on immunoglobulin let's focus on maybe using some high dose vitamin a to kind of regulate the immune response making sure your vitamin d levels are replete making sure that you're absorbing vitamin c properly you know what's going on with your iron levels are your red blood cells like optimal do you need to support oxygenation you know what therapies additionally will be useful to all the stuff we're doing. You know, some people will benefit from hyperbaric oxygen therapy. Others will benefit from frequency-specific microcurrent or both. If they're super anxious, then like kind of learning how to calm down when you're in a state. Yeah. This really brings in your background and the ways that you draw on herbal medicine, on Ayurveda, on Chinese medicine, really thinking through the needs of the individual. And I'm wondering, what is it that you wish you could say to all clinicians when they're addressing co-infections or thinking about co-infections? If there was one thing or two things that you wish you could really point out, what would that be? Thinking about digestion and assimilation, nutrient depletions, and just optimizing those before you really, like, you'll often see a massive improvement just by doing that. Yeah, that's brilliant. I mean, that really does take us back to where when we focus on what I call tier one, tier two work, we very well might see a shift in the tier three, in the dismantling of the dysfunction, which is essentially the kill it model. Carolina, thank you for the work you do and sharing your wisdom with us today. I have a lot of takeaways, but one big takeaway too is just that co-infections are complicated. They occurred for complicated reasons in the person's physiology. And we have to take time to articulate, educate, and untangle. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think just kind of teaching people that you don't have to do everything at once. You can take things really slowly and just make sure that the patient's responding and and just make the patient aware that these cases can sometimes take a long time. Brilliantly said. Thank you, Carolina. Thank you so much. It's been great talking to you. The 15-Minute Matrix is brought to you by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. Check out the latest in functional nutrition at functionalnutritionlab.com forward slash blog. The 15-Minute Matrix is produced, mixed, and edited by Rowan Bradley with production support from Natalie Merrill and the team at the Functional Nutrition Alliance. You can find episodes on all kinds of topics with more incredible guests at our podcast website, 
15minutematrix.com. And if you'd like to be notified by email each week about our podcast releases, head on over to 15minutematrix.com forward slash notify. Also, please feel free to get in touch with us. We would love to hear your thoughts, your feedback, and who you'd like to hear next on the podcast. You can email us at ask at 15minutematrix.com. 